Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ebsyot Sports episode number Chris Letang, Jack Lambert, Derek Thomas, Jonathan Papelbaum. It's been a while. Nice to be back with you. I'm your host, Mark Hepsher. We've got tons to talk about, including a suspension for Zach Hyman and the Maple Leafs. That goon. <laughs> a problem for Kyle Lowry. What do you mean he can't shoot straight? And the rest of the Raptors. Oh, they're having a slump. They're still in first place, but uh-oh, they're losing games. Uh, just a heartbreaking loss for the Buffalo Bills. I, I don't even know if I want to get into the NFL. So much nutty stuff happening in that in that league. It's uh, We need a whole show for that. We need to do a, like an NFL special podcast for that one. Uh, spectacular final play, mind you, for the Dolphins. I mean, that's what football's all about, right? Razzle-dazzle, last play of the game, lateral at 25 times. Love that stuff. Um, also, I'm uh, going to have a, an interview with the greatest goal scorer in Toronto Maple Leaf history. You know how we love our Leafs on this show. Greatest goal scorer in Toronto. That, is that a subjective yeah, For sure, yeah, for okay. sure. All right, we're going to have an interview with that particular individual. Uh, first, though, how about a little sports trivia brought to you by Panzer's Original Deli. We love our deli. Can you tell me the tallest defenseman and the tallest forward ever to have played for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Oh, wow. Tallest defenseman, tallest forward. Two different people. Both very tall. Our trivia is sponsored by Pencer's Original Deli on Bathurst Street, just north of the 401. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to find a good deli. Believe me. And Pencer's has been in business since I was a little hebsy in short <laughs> pants. And let me tell you, the food there is to die for. Dine in or take out. Let them cater your affair with their fabulous party trays. Call Lorne at 416-636-1230 and tell them Hebsy sent you. Go to the original, PantsersOriginalDeli.com. And is there anything better than a good deli? Like, that's that's everything. I'm, we're, I'm slobbering on the table here. <laughs> I'll get a <Okay>. mop. <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, Mike, how are you? And uh, did anything happen while I was in England? <laughs> I was getting notes. Uh, <laughs> Hebsy took the wrong week off because the Nylander thing broke. Nylander. Was Saturday. Yeah. And then you're supposed to be here recording on the Monday morning, and everybody's, like, chomping at the bit. What does Hebsy think of the signing? Because you were trading him away that Friday. I think that yeah. you were trading him away. Um, so... Um, when when is he scheduled to come back and, and play with the Leafs? <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. Well, no, that's it's, great. Has, he's he's signed right for how much? Twelve million a year? What did no. he sign for? Six. A ten million dollar bonus. <laughs> he signed for let's put it this way: Marner's uh, Marner and Matthews right now are like they're talk about salivating. Okay, like going to Panthers times a hundred. They're like, mm, <laughs> we're gonna get paid, and they got in a, a fender bender. I saw not too far from here. Yeah, uh, they were in a car crash on the on Kipling. Hey, but Hebsey, before before yeah. we hear what you think of uh, the Nylander signing, which we're all aching for that, but yeah. I need to know how the heck was this trip you just took? You went to England. How did that go? It it uh, it was great. We were there for three days. So I went with Greg Brady, a uh, morning man on uh, the Fan Five Ninety, co morning host on that show, has been I guess for a long time. So anyway, you know the conversation came up a while ago, months ago. What's on your bucket list? What do you want to do? What haven't you done? See, I had never traveled uh, outside of North America or the Car the Caribbean. Caribbean. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. No, all my work for years as a broadcaster was done within North America. Every I've been to every virtually every arena and stadium that housed a professional sports team in North America over my uh, many years of covering sports. So, and never really an opportunity. And even if I did, the last thing I wanted to do is get back on a plane and go somewhere for a vacation, especially if you're flying, you know, seven or eight hours, whatever it is. So I never, the opportunity never presented itself or I never really pursued it. I didn't, you know, I had done enough traveling, air travel, especially 
uh, in my years, you know, <laughs> you've been, you know, you've been back and forth to the West Coast enough times or, you know, on long road trips with hockey teams. Or, or Dominican Republic teams. to see George Bell. You know, stuff like that. But anyway, so I never, never have the opportunity. So I said, geez, I'd love to go see Tottenham Hotspur play in their new, brand new stadium. So this would have been back in, I guess, let's say September. So at the time, it looked like they were on track for their new stadium, which they weren't. So that was the plan. And then the night before, we were going to go see Fulham at Craven Cottage, which is this little 22,000-seat uh, soccer stadium, uh, you know, on the banks of the Thames. And it's just a, a fabulous atmosphere and, like, really intimate. And you're right on top of the action, you know, to see Fulham, which is not a great squad. And we were going to go to Gordon Ramsay's restaurant in Fulham because Greg uh, had a guy who was a connection who said, yeah, you know, M- Mr. Ramsay wants to invite you to his restaurant. He heard you're going to be there. So that was going to be great. Wow. So the original plan was to, we get there, we fly all night Sunday um, uh, Sunday night. Actually, no, we take off at midnight. So midnight Sunday. So we sleep on the plane, supposedly. You get to England, it's like noon. England time, right? And then, okay, the rest of the day, you're, you know, finding your way around, you're getting to where you're going to go. And then the next day, which would have been um, a Tuesday, we're going to do soccer and Gordon Ramsay's restaurant. And then the next night, we're going to do the new stadium, Tottenham Stadium, another soccer match and probably dinner that day and shopping in between and then go home really fast. <laughs> so it was like a blur and everyone's going, right, you're going to get jet lagged. You're going to this. You know what? When you go for three days, you don't get jet lagged. You don't have time. You uh, haven't, no, I mean, you haven't... Is that the trick? Yeah, you haven't gotten into the time frame there. You're not there for long enough to start... You're not. So, you know, I think the secret is you just have to give yourself one full day of recovery at some point. It one depends full how well day, you slept on that plane, hours. right? It all depends on how you slept yeah, on the plane. Yeah, but even so, how, who, how, how well can you sleep on a flight? Uh, you're not. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, you're not. However, so what happened was on the way back from this uh, thing, I looked to see which flight we were going to take home from uh, Heathrow in London. And there's three flights to Toronto. One was at nine in the morning, one was at noon, one was at three o'clock. And we were originally booked on the noon flight. And I noticed, you know, it's fairly crowded. It's about, you know, maybe 80%. And, you know, I wonder what the three o'clock flight looks like. And I look and it's like wide open. And I'm thinking, oh, you know what? Sleeping on a plane for an eight-hour flight, having an entire row to yourself would be better than any upgrade to first class, anything, right? That would be the greatest because you really do want to sleep. Yeah. And you've got an opportunity here. So sure enough, so I booked us on the three o'clock flight. So literally we had like an entire, the entire back of the cabin. (laughs) It was great. So I put the same movie, the Tom Tom Cruise, the new Mission Impossible movie. I put the same movie on all four screens, four seats across, lifted up the armrests, got a couple of blankets, about six pillows. (laughs) And I, I, and you know, nuzzled my way in there for the entire flight. Oh, I can home it was wonderful and then you know hit the ground run i was fine and uh, no jet lag nothing feeling oh, good. like a million bucks the soccer not what i expected not the at well first of all the craven cottage game didn't exist because they changed it to the next night oh no yeah um uh or no they changed it to the night we were going to the tottenham game so that night the tuesday we went and saw west ham play against uh, Cardiff City at the new Olympic Stadium, the one they built for the 2012 Olympics. That's the home of West Ham. And the place holds, I don't know, 70,000. There was maybe 35,000. Oh, no. And not a great atmosphere, unless you were from Cardiff and you traveled all that way from Wales and you were part of that group. But I don't know, not what I expect. Anyway, they said basically the same thing the next night at Tottenham. They basically said, you know what, it's not the same as it is on the weekend. On the weekend, it's, you know, it was the North London Derby. It was Tottenham Arsenal. Everybody, it was a big rivalry. And like, you know, Tottenham against, you know, Southampton on a Wednesday night in early December, not a big draw. Would be the equivalent of going and seeing, seriously, the New Jersey Nets and the Atlanta Hawks on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. 
eh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of what it was, and that was two nights in a row. So that was a bit of the disappointment. Uh, but other than that, it was great. London was fantastic, and the people are extremely polite, extremely polite in London. I mean, I'm, I, I went to go to the bathroom, and I didn't realize you needed 30 pence to get into the public washroom in the, at the train station, the Paddington station. Right. So I've got some change or whatever, but I don't know what it is because I didn't pay any attention to the change. I'm not there long enough. <laughs> yeah. I know what a 10-pound note is and a 20-pound note is and you know what I mean, what the equivalent of a toonie is, which is about five bucks or four dollars or whatever. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, I don't have the right change. You have to have exact change. So I sort of hold up my palm and this lovely woman, she says, oh, you, you, you need ten, another 10 pence, like that kind of thing. I say, excuse me, I, I'm not from here. I'm going home. You can have all of this. I'm like, you can have this money. I'm not going to be able to use it. I'm going home, but could you just tell me? She says, oh, you need more. So I said, just, she said, well, I hear, let me. And she, so she paid 10 pence. She paid 10 P to, uh, in addition to my 20 P so that I could take a P. Uh, you know, and, but she was so lovely about it. Is that the queen? A, a it sounds like Queen stranger, Elizabeth. A complete okay. stranger paid 10 pence towards my uh, being able to go to the bathroom. Uh, the, uh, anyway, so that's... Uh, By the way, that's, that's the worst thing about going to Europe is all the paid toilets. That's how nice that is. <laughs> that's how nice. So that was my trip there. So there you go. So I'm back now. And yeah, so Nylander. Yeah. I, we, so give okay, me the wait, numbers. We need a drum roll I don't here. understand. Give me the okay. numbers here. Like, what? what the hell? Wasn't Why? it like 6.9? Is that the average uh, Man, hit against the cap? What was the reaction like? I mean, people must have gone nuts. Like, what? What are you paying this guy for? No, no, no. I, did, I don't think it was like that at all. I think most fans were kind of happy to get it done and thought it ended up where it was going to end up and wow. just wondered why it took so long. That's a lot of scratch. Well, yeah, why couldn't they have done the deal before right. if it was for that much? What right. was the deal? Yeah, good question. Yeah. So meantime, so when does he start playing for the Leafs? <laughs> Seriously. What was their, what's their plan? They figure they're going to throw it. What did they do? They threw him right into the lineup and he got benched? Yeah, he was benched what? in the third Why period. Why put him in the lineup then? Why not? Can he not go to the Marlies? Can he not skate with the Black Aces for a while? <laughs> Do we have to have him playing now? Look what he's look what's happened to the team since he arrived. It's since you stopped recording for a week. We both teams was? have gone in the dump, dumpsters. Uh, no panic button being hit. But yeah, the Leafs. Uh, yeah, hit a little roadblock. Yeah. I'd say. So let. <sighs> so Nylander. Yeah. So he had how many goals? Twenty last year. Yeah, twenty goals. Okay, I only remember sixty something points, but yeah, I don't. I guess so. He had 20. 20, 20 goals. He had twenty goals, and he's getting all this money for twenty goals. <laughs> and when Austin Matthews hits forty, what did Matthews going to hit forty, forty-five? I don't know if he'll hit fifty. Fifty is the benchmark, eh? Fifty is. Yeah, but he you missed know, a lot of time. Yeah, that's right. That's another thing. Um, so, all right. So Nylander signed, and, and you can do about it now. You've got him. He's going to have to play up to uh, his uh, massive earnings now. And uh, the fact that Zach Hyman, that goon, <laughs> I don't care that he's written children's books. That's right. How goon move on McAvoy? McAvoy just came back from us from like his concussion. He missed like what seventeen games, and here's Hyman like three steamboats after he lets it go. Bang! Yeah, it was late. That was a late hit, man. He's lucky he only got two games. He really is. So he probably now, only got two games because he writes those children's books. No, no, he only got two games because they looked at in his previous whatever 280 NHL games, he never did anything wrong. Yeah. He never had a major penalty, I don't think. It's a total clean sheet. Because if he, if he was a Brad Marchand, he would have gotten 15 for that. Seriously. Well, the Leafs as a team this season have had very few penalties, except yeah. recently I noticed a rash of them maybe in the last a, uh, couple of games. Maybe that's one of the problems. <laughs> maybe they need to have a little more sandpaper, a little more grit. Huh? Maybe, uh, I mean, let's look, if Zach Hyman is your enforcer, maybe you're in trouble. Maybe they need uh, Maybe they need Ryan Reeves. Would you go after Ryan Reeves from Vegas? Yeah, no, are you looking for more truculence? Is that what you're looking for? Uh... Call what you want. <laughs> but I'm just saying, do you think that, I mean, should Zach Hyman be out there punching away and 
whacking guys and getting suspended? I mean, he's a valuable guy. So first of all, I don't know why they don't bring him out for every single face-off. The guy doesn't lose the... The way I look at it, he never loses a face-off. Take the face-off and skate off and let the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so now Nylander's got a chance because now that Hyman's going to be out for a couple of games, you got some line shuffling. There, there's been talk anyway that uh, you know maybe maybe the Tavares Marner Hyman trio isn't so great after all. Maybe they should break up the trio because you know, gosh, it's been how many games and they haven't done anything, of course, and the team is playing. Come on. Hey, there's a good comeback though. Uh, well, not, not. I mean, that Boston game was terrible. Uh, the the scores. Oh, you knew that was going to happen. You knew that was going to happen. I don't know. Oh, you we, we've done no, pretty well know, against uh, Boston no, no, no. in the regular season. You can't win in Boston. You're not going <laughs> to yeah, win in Boston. That is the second loss in Boston. You're not going to win in Boston. But the prior game. And Boston's uh, got a guy. Boston's got a. You know, and they got injuries. And remember last time they got injuries, man. They got yeah. What kind of injuries do the Leafs have? None that I can think of. Uh, None. Right. Right? Zero. Yeah, but okay. Did you, by the way, since we haven't recorded in a while, uh, Austin had a great uh, overtime winner with two seconds left against the Sabres. Yeah. That was pretty exciting. Uh, uh, should that game have gotten to overtime? The way I understand it, no. It was sort of a, oh, they won it in overtime, but they really, you know, didn't play that well. And against Minnesota, did they not get, uh, like, outshot, like, 40 to 18 or something like that? So this is what you get with the Maple Leafs. But again, let's take it over 82 games, like. So far, so good. But answer you asked me a question, so but we all want to hear what Hebsey thinks. Uh, should the Leafs go after a guy like Ryan Reeves from yeah. Vegas? Yeah, they should. Yeah, I think I think now you're looking at you've got some surplus on this team. You've got some players, and I don't want to mention any names, Connor Brown. But you could replace a Connor Brown with a guy like Ryan Reeves. I'm not saying you're going to swap Connor Brown for Ryan Reeves. You might have to give something up. You've got some players in the Mar- for you know they're playing for the Marlies. You've got a, an Andreas Janssen. You've got a Perlindom. You, you, you've got some parts there that maybe Vegas could use. Vegas likes those kind of players, you know. Th- those guys will flourish in Vegas. And and for the record, because people are so interested in your uh, take on the Nylander uh, situation, because yeah. uh, on Friday, which is now two Fridays ago, you wanted him traded. Yeah, I did. I thought he'd be a distraction to the team, and I and I and I'm sure that now that he's back, his teammates are. Thrilled to have him back, but let's like, okay, what have you done for me lately? Right? Let's go. Uh, you know, is the team energized now that William Nylander is playing? Taking up a roster spot? Taking up a spot on the bench? Are they energized? Don't look too energized the last no, Well, no. Saturday night, they look terrible. Yeah. So, all right. Let's, okay. Let's wait and see Maybe what he's happens. a distracted driver. Uh, Maybe that explains the crash. That on, could, uh, that could be. What, so, what was the upshot of that? It was a minor injury, a little fender. Back oh, yeah. It was nothing. Yeah, they were fine. Yeah, was the guy oh, they, pl- they played since then, right? That, what, what, oh, yeah, they played, right? Oh, I've lost track of my this is Monday, yeah. yeah they See, that's the other thing, too, is I've lost track, too. I got <laughs> home Friday, I think. I, I lost an entire day when I got home on the Friday. It was like, Friday was that day, that day just to recover, the zombie day. <laughs> I slept, you know, whatever, 18 hours. No, I, I remember those days from those those flights. It was tough. Hey, so since you left, we talked. Obviously, the, the, the Leafs have hit a little bump here because they miss Hebsey on sports, probably. But I'm sure that's it. Uh, our juggernaut Raptors too. Like, yeah. uh, what was that? Well, we haven't finished with the Leafs, uh, so oh, they got a road sorry. trip now. Just hang on. Tuesday in Carolina, Thursday in Tampa. So these are those. Those are the games. I, they never did well when they took those trips. Like, uh you know, sort of the East Coast down the you know that Southeast Division, Carolina. And they're suffering the weather there, too. I mean, Toronto's going into a storm, a literal storm, because all of the eastern seaboard is just getting whacked. And not that they're not used to it, but, like, you, you don't want to be flying. Trust me, I've, tra- I've traveled in 
weather like that where you've got, sorry, there's a game to be played. Yeah, but there's a, uh, you know, we went through that once. And then Hartford, I don't think I might have mentioned that story to you where the Leafs refused to get on the flight. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, they refused to get on, man. It was really treacherous. So, you know, I don't want to wish them any bad luck or anything there. But, I mean, you got some yucky weather there. And then you got to go down to Florida, which is never easy to do, man. It's never, Tampa's a tough team. You know, they're gonna, you're going to get beat up down there. You're going to need some physicality. So that's the Leafs thing. And, and um, yeah, we'll wait and see. We'll see what happens. I, I want to see how they are without Hyman. I want to see who's going to be that lead forechecker now that's going to be bashing in there and, you know, causing havoc uh, for the opponents. I'm sure, that, I'm sure the opposition, I'm sure the opposing defensemen, I'm sure the guys on Carolina and Tampa are like the defensemen are men, like Hedman, like, whoa, we don't have to, Hyman's out. Phew. Don't have to worry about that guy. Don't have to worry about 220 pounds coming at us at the end board, stapling us in there. So, yeah, the Raptors. All right, so, yeah, 21-7. and Damn, that's not very good. That's 750 ball. That sucks. (laughs) Not going to go anywhere with that. Best record all of basketball. Uh, No one's even close. No one has more than 18 wins. The Raptors have 21. So, to me, if you're going to have Kyle Lowry... You know, shooting like a like a sixth grader on a first time ever on a on a ten foot like net me, or like me. I mean, bricking them up there. Uh-huh. All right, let, let it happen when you're twenty one and seven. Uh, you know, it's not going to go on forever. You know that he's trying a little too hard. Zero points yesterday, but it's mind boggling. Zero uh, points. Uh, is it? Lauer. I think is that's uh, never, difficult to do. It's difficult to do. How many shots did he take? He took five shots, I think. That was it. He's afraid to shoot, and they're all three pointers. So he's not slashing. He's not driving to the line. That's the thing. The Raptors went to the free. Th- and by the way, thanks to Raptors devotee, uh, your buddy Brian Gerstein, uh, for pointing out the fact that even though I was going to, even, even without his tweet, pointing out <laughs> the fact that you, if you're going to go to the free throw line seven times in a game, you can't expect to win those games. You can't do it. You can't. Seven times. That's ridiculous. So it's Kyle Lowry shooting threes and now afraid to shoot them, bricking them up there, not slashing through the defense for layups. You know, or drawing fouls that way. Yeah, you got to get to the charity stripe. They call it the charity stripe for a reason. Yeah. So yesterday's loss to Milwaukee, that's a perfect example right there. Uh, They can't finish games, and their key guys aren't scoring at all. Uh, And if they are, they're not scoring at the time of the game that you want them to score. I don't give a shit if you're scoring in the first quarter. I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're eight for eight in the first quarter, unless you put the team away in the first quarter, which does not happen in the NBA anymore. You don't put a team away in the first quarter. You know, they're going to have a run. They're going to come back, but not in the first quarter. But give me those shots. Take those. Give me those in the fourth. Give me them in the last two minutes. I'm not getting those. So here's Lowry. Zero points. All right. We know it. All right. It happens. Look, last podcast. My la- our last podcast, that to me was the equivalent of a 100-point night by Will Chamberlain. Yes. That was such <laughs> a good show. You know, it's been a while since we recorded it, but such a good show. The numbers show, too. By the way, thank you to everyone. All of you listening and the ones that told your friends and wrote reviews, thank you so much because people are starting to take notice. Um, New listeners, thank you. So the opposite of the Lowry thing, this podcast has been going in the opposite direction, but this is Lowry and this is what happens sometimes. Over his past five games, he's averaging just five points. He's shooting 19% from the field. He's shooting 15.5% from three-point range. 25 of his last 28 field goal attempts Field goal attempt means a shot, any shot, any shot at all. That's not a three-point shot. A layup, a tip-in. It's a field goal attempt. It's an attempt to, to, you know, to make a shot. 25 of his last 28, three-pointers. Come on. Wow. 25 of 28, he's jacking up threes. 
at 15.6%. He's attempted a grand total in his last five games of four free throws. Four. He's gone to the line four times in his last five games. Do you bench him? Do you do you start Van Vliet? Play Danny Green on the uh, at the two. You got Kawhi in the wing. You got Siakam on the other wing. You got Big Surge in the middle. He can come off the bench, Lowry. Maybe he gets hot that way. Maybe. Come on. Well, what about just resting him the whole game? Like uh, give him the game off. Hey, (laughs) Nick Nurse. Anybody? And what? And um, you know how much I love Kawhi. How what a great player! I amazing. He's trying too hard. He's trying. They're twenty-one and seven, so that's good. He's trying too hard. He wants the ball at the end of the game. I get it. But everybody in the everybody in the arena, everyone watching on TV, and especially the players defending him, they all know. Clear it out for Kawhi. He's thirty feet away, and they're setting picks up there, screens for this guy because he can't even get away from the two defenders that are on him. And now here comes the third. And the other team, like Milwaukee, they go, oh, find the open man on the perimeter. Pass, 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 pass to the open man. Boom, three. Here's the Raptors. Give it to Kawhi. Everybody stand around. Set a pick here. Go over there. Maybe he'll pass you the ball. And then when he does, with three seconds to go, where you've got to get a basket from him, and there's four defenders on him, he turns the ball over. Man, that's not team play. And Nick Nurse can't do that. You can't just say, give it to Kawhi. Okay, he's got a lot of pressure on him anyway. But you can't do that to the guy. You can't say to him, like, go do your thing. Make the, you know, he's a great player. He can't beat three guys, especially down the stretch. It's not fair. Not fair to anybody. Do you get the feeling that, yes, lofty record, like you said, but this team hasn't, hasn't yet played like, to its potential at all. Like, it feels like we're still kind of chelling and figuring it all out. I like, know. We haven't hit our stride yet. No, no. And... Nor has Coach Nurse, and this is another thing, they've lost twice to Milwaukee. The first time, neither uh, the Greek freak nor Kawhi played. And in this game, they both played. Uh, But a team like Milwaukee, for example, if you had them in the playoffs, Nick Nurse has to learn how to coach a team to win a playoff series. You can lose all you want in the regular, but you have to be able to say, like, Dwayne Casey could not do that. Dwayne Casey was incapable of preparing his team to win four games in a playoff series against LeBron James. Correct. And any misstep, like in game one, when he had them, right. any misstep and it's disaster. So Nick Nurse is going to learn along the way as well. And he's going to probably learn the hard way by losing some games down the stretch that when the time comes in the playoffs, game six of the playoffs, game seven of the playoffs, down the stretch, down two, that's stuff that didn't work before. You either got to work on that or you got to throw that away. You got to have a different way, a different approach down the stretch, at home, down a point or down two points to Milwaukee. Because make no mistake, make no mistake, Hebsey, this regular season, it's just a big, long exhibition run where all that matters is what this team does in April, May, and hopefully June. Right. So everybody's going to have their problems. Everyone's going to hit a scoring slump. It's going to happen. And, I, and it's like I've said before, plan on the Raptors losing 20, 25, 30 games maybe this year. They're 21 and 7. Okay, they're going to lose more games. I like the fact that they're in every game. I think the only game they were out of was that Milwaukee game. There was another one. Was there one other one? Yeah, Pelicans. Yeah, yeah. It was a dog game. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Yeah. but but really, they're in every game. I mean, they got a chance to win every game. Yep, you're right. Blow 19 point leads, they come back from 19 point deficits. That's the NBA. It's very very exciting. But now, now, a real test. 
because they go for four games on the road against four Western Conference playoff teams. In order, Clippers-Warriors, back-to-back, by the way. That's Tuesday-Wednesday on the West Coast. Clippers-Warriors, and then Blazers, and then Nuggets. All four. All four are playoff teams. All four right now would be in the playoffs. Let's try, if we could split those, I think we'd be happy. Oh, that would be lovely. That would be lovely. And, and again, maybe Kyle Lowry finds his shooting touch on the West Coast. Maybe the California sunshine is just the thing that Kyle Lowry needs. Maybe, maybe away from home. I don't know. Maybe there were problems at home. Maybe, getting, you know what I mean? Maybe getting out of Toronto in December is a good thing. I always think maybe, I always worry it's a, maybe it's a vision thing. Maybe he needs to go back to the optometrist. Oh. Because uh, that's, like, he's got the symptoms he, of something. He's been, throwing up, he's been throwing up some bricks, hasn't he? He's been shooting like I typically shoot. But, I mean, it's like farsightedness. It's like he's got nearsightedness. He can't see stuff far away. Like, he's, he's, the, and also, too, don't you, here's the other thing. Picture, Picture Kyle Lowry when he's hot, getting the catch and shoot, getting the ball at at the spot, right? Boom. And now watch him. There's a not is a hesitation. There's a something about it. He's forcing it, and and they're ugly misses. You know, there's those there, those long ones that are like bang off the back rim, or like you know they even almost hit the backboard first before. They, oh yeah. So you know, let's, let's hope. Uh, let's two out of four would be wonderful. Uh, but their first overall, Mike. Their first overall in the NBA. If they could, they could lose their next three games, and they would still be first in the NBA. They'd be twenty-one and ten. That sounds like a instead challenge. of twenty-one and seven. <laughs> yeah. If they lose three in a row, they're going to be twenty-one and ten. Is it time to panic when you're twenty-one and ten? I don't think so. Our trivia question today is this: Hockey. Can you tell me the tallest defenseman and tallest forward to have played for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Mike. I remember in the 80s, uh, I, I want to, because I get him confused with this other player of a similar last name, but was it Chris Nyland? Is he the uh, Maple Leaf defenseman? I'm Gary Nyland? Gary Nyland, right, right. He was right, tall. Right. He was Wasn't about 6'5. Like so he was 6'5. He probably for still is 6'5. Yes, he probably still uh, is. Yeah, but he's not the answer. Oh. But uh, that's for the defenseman. Right, the, now, did you want to try forward now that you're 0 for 1? But go ahead. I, I would just guess, I'm going to be wrong, but I would I would just guess Dave Anderchuk. No, but that's not a bad one, too. Uh, Anderchuk also 6'5. No, the tallest defenseman to ever have played for the Toronto Maple Leafs is one six foot seven inch Hal Gill. Up, right. Okay. Yes. Okay? Yes. And the tallest forward to have ever played for the Maple Leafs, the Toronto, uh, Nick Andropov. Okay. Six foot six. There's your answer. Congratulations. If you got it correct, I believe you could probably go to Pancho's Original Deli and say, uh, I got the trivia question right. Can I get a pickle? I'm just, I'm stepping out on a limb here. They might say no. I would issue a challenge. If you love this show, <laughs> go to Panzer's Deller Deli and Deller. when you Deller, right. <laughs> go to Panzer's Deli and when you go in there and you buy your your grub, make sure you let them know Hebsy sent me. Right. Uh, Panzer's original deli is on Bathurst north of the four hundred one. Call Lauren at four one six six three six one two three zero. Tell them Hebsy sent you. Tell them you got the trivia question right. And again, work out your own deal. Go to Panzer'sOriginalDeli.com. So the toughest Hall of Fame to get into in the world, of course, is the World Podcasting Hall of Fame. <laughs> uh, I'm on track. I think I've got uh, my gray ink is pretty good. Um, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. <laughs> we're, no, we're no Mark Marin. We're no Toronto Mike, but we're getting there. <laughs> but the second toughest Hall of Fame to get into, or at least it used to be, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Because the Baseball Hall of Fame used to be, here's how you get in. You have to have 75% of the vote from all the eligible writers from the Baseball Writers Association of America. 
and there were hundreds, hundreds of guys. If you've covered, if you covered baseball for any period of time as a journalist, you got a vote, uh, you know, for baseball hall of fame. And on the ballot there were, you make 10 choices and you rank them one to 10 each one, you know, the number of, uh, you know, first place votes gets more points, blah, 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 blah. But you have to get 75% of the votes. You have to be on 75% of the ballots. Right. So, for years, you know, a couple guys a year would get in, three guys, maybe four guys would get in. And then after a while, it was like, well, let's have a veteran. Let's, for a guy that was on the ballot and never got in, let's put him back on a different ballot for the Veterans Committee. And then we'll have a different committee, not the same writers, you know, and we'll have a different uh, people on committee, some veteran players, some old broadcasters, whatever. And we'll do another vote for them so that years after they've played and uh, lost their eligibility, they're, they're re-energized, they're brought back. You know, a lot of these guys were from the Negro Leagues in baseball that were never honored in the first place, wasn't considered part of professional baseball, all that stuff. So anyway, now they've got these other, you know, they're um, groups, I guess you could say, other groups that uh, make up the Baseball Hall of Fame. And sort of in a random way, instead of, you know, it used to be, and I think it's in February, no, it's in January, where they, uh, they say, oh, yes, and they make the phone call and say, oh, congratulations, Cal Ripken, you are, have been elected to the Hall of Fame, and then they make a phone call with him, and they do an interview, you know, it's in January, some kind, congratulations, and you'll be inducted in the summer at Cooperstown, but way to go, and we run a reel of all your great plays. So um, this year, I guess it snuck up on me or whatever, but... Two, two guys in the hall. I was talking about them. How many back on? I think it was episode 50. Wait a second. Was it episode Brian Erlacher? I think so. <laughs> when we talked about Lee Smith, the reliever. And I think I said, I think he's in the Hall of Fame. Is he in the Hall of Fame? Like, and he wasn't. He wasn't in the Hall of Fame at that time. I thought he was in the Hall of Fame. And then I find out Lee Smith, perhaps the most feared reliever of his generation, who helped define the closers role during 18 seasons in the major leagues has been inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame by the Today's Game Era Committee, a 16-member panel appointed by the Hall of Fame to review players retired at least five, 15 seasons who were passed over by the Baseball Writers Association of America, America and America. So, like like I, a safety net. Yeah. It's another, oh, you got passed over? You know what? We're going to put you back in the pool because we think you guys are pretty good. So anyway, Lee Smith and Harold Baines, right. both in the Hall of Fame. Not the traditional way. I always wondered, if you got in the traditional way, do you look down upon the guys who got sort of oh. came in later? Like, do you kind of go, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer, but he didn't get he didn't get voted in by seventy five. Like, could Fergie Jenkins go, hey, I got in with seventy six point one whatever it was percent. I got in, I got voted in. And now this guy kind of comes in the back door. He doesn't get in on his fifteen years, and then a bunch of other people start feeling sorry for him. So, but have we now diluted the Baseball Hall of Fame? That depends. Do you feel, Hebsey, that uh, Harold Baines is Hall of Fame worthy? No. Not in the traditional sense. He did what not get se- he did not get 75% of the no, vote. No, 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 but do you think his ba- career, you watched you think, his entire career? Do you think Barry Bonds should be in the Baseball Hall of That's Fame? That's a different discussion. I'm asking you. Pr- no, I don't think it's so. It's up to you. If you were a voter, would you vote for Barry Bonds to be sure in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm not sure I would be able to vote Hall for anyone yes or no. we know took performance-enhancing drugs. All right, so there you go. So your answer is no. But Harold Baines, we're pretty sure we, we don't know he took performance-enhancing drugs. That's got nothing to do with it. He's voted in. <laughs> right. And, and Harold Baines was a very, very good ball player. But I don't think once did I ever say, see that Harold Baines? Hall of Fame someday. Yeah, you know, he's, I, and I, I like, I mean, that's a guy whose career I followed, too. Okay. And he was excellent, but I, yeah. I agree with you. And now, now, this now, is now, now, the, the, real hall, now yeah. the real Hall of Fame, and again, yeah. the real Hall of Fame, okay, guys who are eligible this year, Roy Halladay, a lock, Mariano Rivera, a lock. 
Right. Then you got Todd Helton, not so much of a lock. Then you got guys who were on recent ballots like Omar Vizquel and Mike Messina, who probably won't get in. It's close. And you got Barry Bonds, seventh year in a row now that he's on the ballot. Roger Clemens, seventh year in a row now. Larry Walker, I think it's his ninth year. He doesn't have that many more years, you know? Uh, and then he goes into the pool with all the other pretty good ball, really good. Lupinella didn't get in. Davey Johnson, Oral Hershiser didn't get in. Right. Joe Carter was on this same ballot here with Harold Baines and Lee Smith. Joe Carter didn't even get in via the back door. And had Joe Carter gotten in via the back door, does Roberto Alomar go, yeah, nice to have you, I guess. You go sit in the back row. You go sit with those other ones who were appointed by a committee. Well, go ahead. We got voted in. There's a big difference. Don't you don't kid yourself when you go to the hockey classism, when yeah. you go to the hockey hall of fame. Don't you kid yourself. The guys who played for Stanley Cup winners, who were great players, who got in on merit, those guys are the top class guys. There's other guys, and you know who I'm talking about. That kind of they felt sorry for them and said, eh, "Let's put them in." I don't have to mention the names. You know the guys I'm talking about. They played a lot of games. They never won a cup or whatever. They were like a bit player kind of a thing, but they played a lot and they happened to be on, you know, some good teams or, or they just, they, they lasted longer than most other guys. And they said, you know what? He played how many games? Oh, put him in. Uh-huh. He, oh, he had over a thousand points and he played 1600. Oh, put him in. Like, is Patrick Marlowe a Hall of Famer? Oh, that's a good question. I, did, so, I never think of him as well. All right. So let's not think of it that. Anyway, so here, baseball, uh, good for them. Uh, there's new four new committees, by the way, four new eras committees. Does this help Modern Fred McGriff? Baseball. Sorry, I don't mean Yes, to, it does. Because Mo- Fred McGriff is a guy I felt was overlooked. Modern baseball, golden days, and early baseball. All right? And this today's game. So this was the today's game era committee. Lee Smith and Harold Baines both played when there was color television. That would be today today's era, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then you've got, you know, modern baseball, which could be, you know, golden days. Well, golden days. It depends. What are your golden days? The 70s, Mike? Mine would be like the f- 60s and 50s. Anyway, so that's the deal there. Will Larry Walker get in? Well, for Canadians, I'm, I'm sorry to say no. He was a great player, but not going to happen. Not going to happen. Too bad. Who is the greatest scorer in Toronto Maple Leafs history? Matt Sundin would be a good answer. Daryl Sittler would be a good answer. Uh, my choice, because it's subjective, would be a guy who scored 537 points in 534 games as a Leaf. Go anywhere today and say, give me a point of play. Give me a point of game player. Gretzky, come on, it's not fair. Right. Another love. Point, give me a guy, point of game. This guy was a point of game guy. This guy scored 50 goals in a season, not once, when he was 22 years old. Not twice, when he was 23. Two-time 50-goal scorer when you're 23? Oh, not, th- what, three times. In a row, he was 22, 23, and 24 years old, and he scored 54, 53, and 50. Come on, one. Come on. He was named captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs when he was 22 years old. 22, captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the greatest franchise in the history of sports, according to Leaf fans. And a while back, I talked to this man, Rick Vive, about being captain of the Leafs and about his first NHL goal, which was scored while he was with the Vancouver Canucks. Well, uh, I do remember that first goal uh, vividly. It was uh, uh, was in Vancouver against the Detroit Red Wings, and uh, uh, Rogie Vashon was a goalie, actually, so I might be dating myself. Uh, but uh, I remember coming in uh, down the right side with the puck, uh, cutting across into the slot and, and uh, firing a backhand uh, top shelf uh, over his glove. And uh, uh, I still I have a tape of it, and uh, uh, I've seen it a couple of times, and uh, brings back a lot of fond memories. 
I was wearing number 28, as a matter of fact, and uh, wearing those Halloween uh, Vancouver Canuck uniforms with the big uh, V on, on the front. Uh, it's, I mean, those are things you never forget. Looking back, do you think that when you were awarded the captaincy at a very young age that uh, maybe you could have used a couple more years of seasoning, or was it the right time for you? Did it make you mature quicker? Well, I think it made me mature quicker, but at the same time, it, it might have been a little bit young to, to take over that role, especially in Toronto. Uh, you know, but a, a captain is, is uh, you know, he can't be left out there by himself either. And, uh, uh, you know, a captain's got to have support of uh, the veteran players and the, and the bigger name players on the hockey club. And uh, everybody kind of has to stick together uh, that core uh, and, and make other guys step up uh, to the plate and be accountable for their play. And at times, uh, I think when I was young, maybe people, maybe some players resented it or something. I'm not really sure, but uh, that support wasn't there as much as. And of course, this is looking back at it. At the time, you, you know, it just happens, and you don't think about that. You think you don't think that. Uh, uh, well, I wish he was supporting me a little more. But as you look back on it later on in your life, you realize that perhaps those players had given you support uh, might have made that job a little bit easier. I don't think there's any question. If, if we had been more successful as a team I, in the 80s, I think that uh, there's no question that, that things would be different. Uh, uh, Rick Vive would probably be known as maybe the greatest Maple Leaf ever if we had gone to the finals or something. You know, but that's just the way it goes. That's the way sports goes. Uh, you know, it's just it's the way it is, and, and you have to deal with it. I, I have no problems with it. I did the best I could. Uh, under the circumstances, I'm very happy with the time that I spent in Toronto. I, I'll be a Maple Leaf forever, uh, as long as I live, and, and, and uh, those were the greatest moments of my career. Um, you know, I, I guess if there's any, uh, any regrets at all, obviously the Stanley Cup, that I didn't get a chance to win a Stanley Cup, and maybe uh, perhaps a Hall of Fame, which, you know, I, I think sometimes is, uh, is not taken as an individual thing that it should be. It's... Uh, uh, guys that are, you know, that are successful on teams uh, ha seem to have an easier time getting into the Hall of Fame than uh, guys that had good individual careers but didn't have uh, team success. But, again, that's the way it goes, and uh, you learn to live with it. Who's the best coach you ever played for? I think, I think, well, I think Mike Nicola got the most out of me. Uh, I think with his approach just kind of suited me where he just, you know, he, he pushed the right buttons. He was a very quiet man. He, he approached me very quietly and, and kind of as a father and talked to me rather than yelled at me or, or, uh, or did things. And, and that approach seemed to work best for me anyway. Uh, uh, everybody's different. Uh, but as far as the best coach, overall coach, I'd have to say uh, Mike Keenan was probably the best coach I ever played for. Uh, as far as preparation, practices, and, and behind the bench, I think he was the best I ever played for. Uh, he might not say that about me as a player uh, because he traded me halfway through that season in Chicago, but uh, uh, he was the best coach I ever played for. Okay, so Rick Vive played on some terrible teams, scored 50 goals plus three years in a row. Only two other Leafs have ever scored 50 once, and that was Dave Andrichuk in 93-94 and Gary Lehman in 89-90. So think about that. Think about scoring them three times in a row. And forget, forget about the era. Oh, Gretzky scored 92. Forget that. Oh, the goal pads were smaller. Folks, I'm telling you, you don't score 50 goals a season three years in a row, okay, by fluking. 
He this Rick Vive was not a, one of those guys. Garbage goals and stuff like that. Guy could shoot the puck. Guy was a horse. Guy was always playing against the other team's best players. He would drag these other guys up and down the ice. Okay, and when he wanted to, and you can't every night play to the best of your potential. When he wanted to, he's the best player on the ice, both ways. And he had a mean streak in him, and he was tough, and he took a lot of abuse, and still could score fifty goals on a bad hockey team. So it's kind of too bad, and it's true. Had they had playoff success, had Rick Vive played on those teams that in 92, 93, 93, 4, with Gilmore and Anderchuk and you know guys like that, and Wendell Clark, it, it might be different. But anyway, I saw him play a lot of those games. A lot. I bet you I saw him play 300 of those 500 and some odd games, and he was a, he was a heck of a hockey player. And uh, and he was the cap. They made him the captain when Daryl Sittler when they took it away from Daryl Sittler, they had no captain for a little while, and they said, okay, Vive, you. You, kid, you just came from Vancouver. You're, you're our captain. You scored 30-some-odd goals the year before. You're the captain now. So he's the captain as well of the Leafs. And after him, they didn't have a captain for three years until they appointed Rob Ramage the captain. So this captain thing, folks, not, that, not a big deal. Wish I had more time to talk. Got to go. That's it for episode 58 of Hebsey on Sports. Thanks to Toronto Mike for production and inspiration. Hit him up at Toronto Mike. And a reminder... Tell your friends about this podcast. Do me a favor. Write a nice review so that others can read it and join the Hebsey generation. Uh, we got a lot of new listeners. And we want to thank them all. Thanks to our new listeners in England, too. The ones I got. What, what do you mean you don't subscribe? Here, give me your device. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, we're from Canada, but yeah, here you go. So uh, thanks to, for that. And as well, my new book, The Greatest Athlete You've Never Heard Of, is available for pre-sale. You can get it via Amazon or Chapters Indigo. It's out in February, but it would make a great stocking stuffer and something you can look forward to during the long, cold winter. Recommended by the likes of, and I'm not dropping names here, Don Cherry, Ron McClain, Jerry Howarth, Robbie Baker of the Tragically Hip, Olympic bronze medalist in the decathlon, Damian Warner, and many others. Check it out, The Greatest Athlete You've Never Heard Of. Thanks for allowing us into your headspace. Uh, Toronto Mike and I love doing this podcast with you. And uh, please write a nice review, tell your friends, and keep us number one, or at least in the top 10 of great sports podcasts in Canada. Thanks for joining us. Back with another episode. I don't know. Yeah, soon. Until then, so long for now.